0: Imagine your wedding day on white marble floors, beneath crystal chandeliers, and exquisite ceiling drapery. Nestled on Long Bay Point Marina in Virginia Beach, the Gala 417 is a modern and luxurious waterfront wedding venue. With all-inclusive packages, award-winning catering packages, and a dedicated team of gala girls to assist you every step of the way, the gala is the perfect place to say, I do. Your dream wedding is just a click away. Learn more at thegala417.com. Hello everybody, thank you very much for tuning in and joining me. I made this video actually for you, for my patrons, my members and my YouTube supporters. I wanted to give you a look into my background and why I research today. Uh, Most of you know me for my YouTube channel or through one of my social media sites. I make articles and podcasts and I'm often asked why I do what I do. And it does seem strange to some... That an ordinary lady from the northwest of England has an interest in the subject of cryptid creatures and unexplained phenomena across the globe. I'm known for reports of encounters, but would it surprise you to know that I have also experienced something completely impossible to explain? And it's been my search for answers to that event which has led me basically where I am today. The images you see are real. And they're from my town. They show the streets I grew up in and the school I went to. And the parkland through the years. Any creature images you see are picked out by the witnesses in order to give you a good illustration of what they each saw. So this all started for me back in 1982. I lived in an area called Pendleton in Salford in the northwest of England. It's just at the end of the Manchester Ship Canal cobbled streets, terraced houses, and some high-rises in the centre of town. There was a pit, a port, and a number of textile mills, all set on the Pennine Fault on the Irwell River Valley. It's a working-class town, and in the 1980s, it was just no different to any other U- town in the UK, really. I'd never heard of Bigfoot, or Cryptids, or any of the subjects that I now cover. I had experiences as a small child I couldn't explain and the odd paranormal event but so did lots of other kids around me but they knew someone who did. We all talked about the green hand at school and the idea that a ghostly caretaker had put it down there years before and, you know, a few other local myths but nobody ever mentioned the gorilla man in the park until after it happened. I've attached a video of the area so you can see for yourself where I was when the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced happened to me. It was in the early summer of 82. It was a nice day. I was next to the local country park. There's an old Victorian entryway. We used to call it the dog entry, which has high-sided and steep steps and it kind of curved round, and that was between my home and the parkland, which was quite high above. um, bit treacherous it was, the dog entry, and there was never any lights on there at night, so you didn't use it at night. If you could imagine an old type of Jack the Ripper cobbled corridor, kind of that's what the dog entry was. It's not there today, it's been knocked down. Salford's a really steep town, and it's set on a radius of a mile from the top to the bottom. And the merchant homes are set at the top, and they look out across the valley and give fantastic views to all sides. The poorer, more common homes where I lived are right at the very bottom, uh, right at the bottom of the hill next to the Dockland, really. And the nearer you get to the Dockland, the smaller the homes became. During the Industrial Revolution, the mansion homes at the top of the hill were set in lovely parkland. Um they felt a wreck and ruin by the time the 80s came around, but back then they had fountains and lakes and lavish greenhouses and conservatories, long drives and servants' quarters and stables and even the odd coach house. The park was overgrown, and the thickets and bushes unseen to and unkempt, but it was one of my favourite places to be. My dad used to take me every weekend when I was a little girl and when I was old enough to go on my own, I spent every spare time I had there. On the day this happened to me, I'd met my friend at the entryway, the dog entry that I'd said before, and we'd slowly wandered up to the park. And we should have gone to school, but we didn't. We went in beside the old mansion house, and we were just messing around and having a giggle, and we were there a long while. It was an ordinary day. It was sunny and a little breezy. You could smell the greenhouses and the sensory garden close by. I can still smell them to this day. Back then, there was a huge glass greenhouse with a butterfly house on one side and a tropical garden on the other. It had a huge koi pond in it. It was absolutely amazing. Behind that was a garden for the blind with lots of highly smelling edibles and herbs. There's a large golf course. There was a petting zoo and horses and a couple of children's play areas. And tucked in behind the whole manor house, she couldn't be seen by anyone walking by. So no teachers had noticed us on their rounds of the park, which was what they would do, looking for kids playing truant, exactly as we were doing. And the park was just adjacent to my school. My school was an old mansion and the park had an old mansion itself and they were both setting their own grounds. We should have been in lessons that day, not hiding in the park. And if I had gone into lessons, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. It must have been mid-afternoon. I remember the sun was shining on us and it was lovely, to be honest. It was warm and sunny. And I was chatting and laughing with my friend when we both caught a very slight movement in the bushes and the shadows. We looked in the same direction. and The next thing, a huge, hairy, gorilla, a face was just thrust at us out of the bushes. And we both screamed and it just glared at us. It was a huge thing. It looked like a man and an ape had been pushed together, sort of combined and presented in such a way as to horrify young children. It was a monster. It wasn't a kid in a mask or a strange homeless tramp. In fact, many years later, I sat down with a police profile artist who made an artist impression, I think they called, of what I saw that day. He was dark, he had leathery skin, he had amber dark eyes and his hair was really dark brown, almost looked black but he also had a tinge of redness to it. His jawline was thickly muscled and his mouth and his teeth were like ours. There was no canines, they were flat and they were square. square sorry. His nose was flattish like a box's, and I just looked at him terrified. I remember the muscles around his face and he looked like he could crush bones with one bite. He was a powerful horror fit for any nightmare, let alone a 15-year-old girl's. I'm going to be very honest and not dress anything up. At the sight of him, I jumped to my feet, I pushed my friend to the ground, some friend I am, and I ran screaming for my life. Now, there's no thought in those actions, They happened on autopilot. I did them without thinking. Normally, I am the first one to face trouble. I'd put myself forward between me or any of my friends. I usually meet trouble head on and I just get it over and done with and I'm still the same to this day. But this situation was one of primal fear. Without exaggeration, I acted without thought. I was that traumatised. My dad was a big, hefty man and he was a builder. He loved his boxing and his sports and he was at the peak of his fitness back in '82. This thing made my dad look tiny. He could afflict my dad with one of his fingers easily without any effort. And I have never been so scared in my life. I was up and running. I did look back. And honestly, first let's see if he was chasing me, or to see if she'd got up and she was running, and she was up and she was running. And him he did nothing. He just leant back into the greenery, kind of melted away, almost vanished. I have no idea how to put into words that event. I can describe parts of it well, but there is nothing I can use for comparison to help you understand the absolute shock, dread and horror you feel. There is no way it should have happened. In fact, it's impossible. I can explain it away a million times. And believe me, people do that often. They have so many explanations for what I saw or what was wrong with me to bring me on the event. But I'm always left with the knowledge that it happened and there is nothing I can do to change that. I didn't ask for it or wish for it. In my eyes, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I remember running and looking back. But everything after that, for a while, is blurry. I remember making it to the main road. And I remember realising that the next part of the journey home was through thick foliage across the dell. And I must have looked a right state exercise was not my forte, but I chose to go the long way around rather than go across that green. I had snot and tears rolling down like I'd seen a ghost. It wasn't a magical moment at all. It was a complete and absolute opposite. Honestly, if I'd seen a ghost, that would have been easier. There's an explanation for seeing a ghost. Everyone wants to hear your ghost story and then share theirs with you. There's no one who wants to listen to a 15-year-old who insists she saw an ancient ape man in a city park. I have no way of describing what I saw back then. But I knew that other people must have seen them too. I wasn't on my own, so it wasn't an hallucination. I hadn't taken any drugs or drunk anything. I had another last with me. My understanding of that, that someone else... Leftovers. Or The DMV Or House Cleaning Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com Live the Chumba life. necessary Void by law. eighteen plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. out there must have seen it too now many years later I did find some some similar looking creatures to it in archives and books, but nothing was spot on identical. nothing's completely exact in my head he's still a ape other people use the popular name of the British bigfoot the woodwoose the wild man. But to me, he will always be the man-ape. And I wonder what he calls himself. His kind. So, for the last 38 years, I have searched worldwide for answers. And for others who also saw something like I had. For many decades, I looked at hominids, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. I studied the habits and theories. And as I took each witness report, I added it to a map so that I knew what was happening in what area. And when they came in, I would add the date, I would add any footprint finds or any images that were taken. It was my filing system, my way of remembering everything. In the early days, I'd get maybe one report every three or four years if I was lucky. Now, some weeks we can get two a week. That's how different it's changed. As each report came in and the word grew, people would contact me with their experiences with these hairy ape-like creatures. Some, certain of what they were, others, like me, not so sure. I thought I was sure for years, but now I still have so many questions. So I've learnt to go where the road leads me, and over the years i started to receive other kinds of reports, as it became easier for people to find me reports of dogman-type beasts, reptilians, shapeshifters, missing time, paranormal or unexplainable experiences, UFO and alien abduction, invisible life forms that are seen, uh, not seen, sorry, but heard, and all manner of impossible happenings from ordinary folk all across the world. I learned what I could when I had spare time to learn it and I searched most of England looking for answers, it's been a long, winding path, but one I love wholeheartedly. The reports still come in, almost weekly these days. Now, there is a history of reports at Buell, and along the Irwell Valley River. I didn't know it in 82, but now I've found so many others that have seen him and his kind. In the 1970s, an employee who stopped to use the park for a call of nature whilst waiting on his workmates close to the Della Cell entrance, saw so what he described as a hairy little man trying to catch a fox. He was adamant that that's what he'd seen. He ran back to his workmates and he told them that he'd seen a weird caveman-type figure weaving through the grass in pursuit of a fox. Of course, they never believed him. Little did they know that in the late 50s, early 60s, An older gentleman saw an apish thing close to the stream in the next section of the park. He said the animal seemed to be looking for something in the water. He hurriedly moved away and he did think that the animal had escaped from a passing circus. In 1984, a lady known as Brenda saw a naked hairy man who looked like a wild man staring and watching her in the park. She contacted an American cryptozoologist and made her report and he in then turn contacted me and put us in touch and this is what she had to say about that winter day in 84. She saw something impossible standing where I saw something impossible only two years before yet we didn't know about each other. I was smoking she said when a movement to my left caught my eye. There was a nearby light and I saw this tall thing there. It looked about six feet tall and it was quite podgy. It had a bit of a belly on it. And what got me right away was that it had bare feet. And it was then that I noticed it was nude. It had no clothing on, but it had hair all over its body. And it was clearly a male. That's when I thought, I must, someone may be playing silly beggars. But this thing just stood there. I saw it had male genitalia. And that's when I became worried. I thought it could attack me. It stood there staring for about 20 seconds and then it turned very quickly and ran off into the trees. I will never forget that thing. I did not know anything about Bigfoot and stuff, but that's what it must have been. And to learn someone else saw it in the same trees was startling. I would never forget it. It looked like a chimp, but with the body and the shape of a man. It couldn't have been a monkey because it was too tall and it was like a caveman from the dinosaur days. It had a piggy-type nose and large black eyes, and it was full of brown hair. It had a human's face, but it was also like that of a chimp's. It's hard to put into words, she said. Now, in 2005, a lady who was present at the Lord Mayor's Banquet, which is held at the park each year, had to be escorted and helped from the building due to anaphylactic shock after a medical emergency. A friend called for an ambulance and helped her outside for more air. "'I was leaning on the car bonnet, "'and I have never been so scared in my life,' she said. "'I couldn't catch my breath, and I could feel my throat swelling, "'and as I lay there concentrating on my breathing, "'my friend was looking around for help. "'We both saw a dark grey, hairy face come out of the bushes. "'We both thought it was an old homeless, hairy grey tramp, "'as we could only see his face.' As we asked him for help, he quickly growled at us and went back into the bushes. Luckily, my husband and the ambulance arrived at that moment and it was a short drive to the hospital. In 2012, not too far away, just a few miles up the River valley, a gentleman saw an orish, orangish, hairy, naked human-like creature hiding in the shrubs on the bypass on two separate occasions. On the first occasion, the creature was seen off to the left in thick shrubbery there, said Tony. I slowed down, stopping just behind my mate Dave. who was fixing his chain. And I noticed something in the corner of my right eye. I immediately looked to my right and I saw what I can best describe as a very large creature, maybe 20 yards away. Now, I'm not going to get into the realms of what it wasn't. Rather, I will just say what I actually saw. It was brown in colour. Not dark, but a light tan. And although it was not square onto me, its head sat on a very broad set of shoulders with no neck. I couldn't make out any facial expressions or specifics due to its dark complexion. It was leaning forward on long arms, not dissimilar to that of the stance of a gorilla. I could just see the top of its legs and its muscular thighs above the undergrowth. This all happened in the space of maybe four seconds before it rolled slightly on its feet, bounded off into the bushes in one movement. I estimate this thing was easily seven to eight feet tall, maybe more. And two weeks later, as bizarre as it sounds, it happened again. As I reached the area I experienced the weird hairy creature in when I was with Dave... I was immediately overcome with an uncomfortable heightened sense of being watched. Approximately 40 yards to my left was a very large bipedal creature. This thing was standing leaning to its left from behind a tree, staring in my direction, before disappearing after a few seconds behind the same tree and off into the undergrowth. It was exactly the same colour, and I estimate its dimensions were the same as the last encounter. I couldn't believe what I was seeing again. I still can't believe it. This time around, like the last time, I got straight on my bike and I sped out of there as quick as I could. Now, in 2016, a number of gentlemen playing on the golf course, known as Ellesmere Golf Course, about three miles away from the park, probably not even that, actually. Um, The gentleman and his friends also saw a hairy, upright man type creature walking watching them from the bushes and walking along they all noticed something shadowing or stalking them in the rough and that's their words not mine they each saw a creature they described as very tall it was around seven feet in height it was hairy all over the body and it was human shaped they also said it had a barreled chest it was very large and had an odd shaped head it looked like a human, but wider and with hair covering it all over. The way it leaned forward, they felt that it was either very old or in some start of pain or it had an affliction because it had a strange stance. As they looked at it, they heard it making a mushering sound, like something chattering, like the sounds that an ape would make. My husband stepped forward and it took a step back away from him. When it did this, the muttering stopped and it went quiet. Now my husband's friend walked towards it and it started to sway from side to side and they got the impression it was getting agitated, said Jade. It clapped its hands very loudly and it started making grunting sounds. My husband noticed its hands were very big, almost too big for its arms, he said. He described the arms and the hands almost like bedpans in comparison to our hand size. She said it then started moving its hands, a little like sign language, it was gesturing. Then suddenly they heard a loud wailing coming from another part of the course and at that moment when they turned to look at the wailing, the creature turned and ran away and it was making an odd grunting sound. She said, John was as white as a sheet when he came home. He played golf around these parts for years and years, so to see this was shocking for him. He was so shaken up, I thought at first he'd come across some trouble or either from someone down on the course. When he explained what had happened, I believed everything he said. I had to make him a sweet drink of tea to calm him down. In 2017, a year later, a man and his son visiting Drinkwater Park, which is on the Irwell Valley River, an area that connects all of the above places, when he saw a tall grey-coloured hairy creature He was watching him and his son from across the clearing whilst trying to conceal itself in the bushes, he said. We had a regular route, me and my son, and we used to path to get in, and then we normally walk off path and get into the woodland there. We were out for a while in the rain, just enjoying the day, when I noticed out the corner of my eye a grey figure up on the bank opposite where I was now standing. I only saw it for a split second and then it was gone. Whatever this was, it was all one colour, a grey colour, moving very quickly away from us. I was a bit shaken up, trying to work out who that could have been up there across the cleared field. I was nervous, but I made my way over there and where it had been standing and to my shock, there was a ditch and that figure must have been eight feet tall for me to have seen him from my position back over there on the field. As I went to point this ditch out to my son, There was a high, loud wail and the crows set off in unison above us, alarming and cawing. My son asked me if I'd seen a figure as he said he'd seen one too. But on comparing notes, I realised the figure he'd seen was darker in colour and much smaller than the very tall wide grey thing I'd seen. Did he see a smaller one because they were on a similar eye level? I left the area and started searching online, looking for other people, and I came across you. So it started with the sighting for me, and that led me to CB Radio, looking for witnesses, adverts in local free papers, finding people like these, and the stories that I've just given you above. I looked in Friends Reunited, MySpace, MSN, sorry, chat rooms, forums, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, and I've looked on it. A whole host of other sites looking for answers and fellow witnesses. I'd get in touch with farmers, anglers, people who did falconry, people who camped anyone I could think of that was out. Truck drivers were a good source, people in the army. If they were out and about at night, moving about, I wanted to talk to them and see if they'd had any strange experience. I am a long way from that child of 15, and I've really enjoyed the journey. Now I meet the most interesting people from all over the world who have amazing stories to tell. From Canada to Finland, Russia to Australia and every country in between. My little story that started with me in the park has dovetailed into a lifetime of events. I hope in the future to continue to take reports and to reach out to people worldwide who have a story to tell. I don't just take the reports and share them. I map each event, I help the witness with any fear or trauma they have from the incident and together we find a way of moving them forward. Not everyone's traumatised, don't get me wrong. Some people have events that are very positive and life-affirming. So I try to put both of these people together. Sharing theories and looking at things from a different point of view and other opinions can be very therapeutic for people. I run a worldwide community group now that enables people to chat with like-minded people like yourselves and it's run by volunteers and members all across the UK. In the hopes they too will find the same joy that I found, really. The experiences happen to us, but they don't have to define us. And in some ways, they can strengthen you. It all depends on how you look at it. So my idea is to get as many like-minded people together who have witnessed, seen, experienced as many things as we can think of and let's just get chatting about it. Over the next few months, I will bring you some more personal experiences of mine and I'll look behind the scenes. You'll see me interview witnesses and guests and as new reports come in, I'll bring them to you as quickly as possible. I would like to take the time to thank each and every one of my supporters. Without you, I would not be able to do what I do the volunteers and the members would not be able to do what they do. You enable us to visit and speak to witnesses at home, me especially, and speak to them in the areas of their encounters. If they can walk through the day again with somebody else there who kind of has an understanding of what it's like to have an experience that nobody understands, it can be really helpful for them. And it's a vital part of what we do here at BBR. In fact, without your support, there would be no BBR investigations. The last two years has enabled me to put a team of members together and they all have different skill sets. And they're networking and the researching as we speak. They're interviewing witnesses and visiting the locations of any reports that come in. They help with situations in the person's home or just lending an ear while the witness speaks about what happened and any fears they have going forward. Sometimes knowing you're not in this alone is half the battle. So with your continued support, we can help hundreds of people who think they too are out there alone. I've contacted people across as many genres as possible these last 12 months. So going forward, we do have people with skill sets to help no matter what the situation that arises may be. So thank you from me and all of the witnesses um, I can't thank you enough, in all honesty, for what you do for me. So I will continue to keep bringing you some amazing reports and personal stories. Um, And now I'm going to give a little bit of history on the park. So if you're not really interested in that, you might want to tune out now. It's just the park has had a long and varied life and it's played quite a role in my life. In the 1919... Start again, Deborah. 1590... It was a place nobody really wanted to go. They buried pe- plague victims on it. And it was called Heart Hill Meadow back then, and it was just a swampy field, really, that nobody was interested in. It took until the 1700s before someone actually bought it, and then a wooden building called Heart Hill Farm was built there. In 1815, they started to build one of the mansions and that's shown on a map in 1815 and it's said to be the property of Mr Simpson, and he owned Arkwright's Mill um, which is on Shoe Deal and that was around about the 1780s. In 1816 the other half of the grounds were built on and Hart Hill Hall was built, that was built in 1859 for James Dugdale who was also a mill merchant. Now, in 1825, the Buell Hill Mansion, which was the one I was outside of, an estate was built. It was built for Thomas Potter, and it was commissioned by Sir Charles Barry to build him a mansion at Buell Hill. The earlier mansion was situated in wooded grounds, and by the 1840s, it was approached for a lodge on Eccleshall Road. In the census of 1841, the house was occupied by Thomas Truman, who was a merchant while an Ann Jenkle gatekeeper lived at the lodge. The park is then split by the parishes of Seedley, Wiest, Eccles, Pendlebury and Pendleton. In 1876, the official opening of Seedley Park on the 17th of June. And it was opened as a holiday destination, believe it or not, for the wealthy of the area. It had fountains, a bandstand, a boating lake you know, all of the stuff that you would expect. And it was a really popular holiday spot and a weekend spot for local workers. In 1903, Beulieu Park Mansion's closed and it was taken over by Salford City Corporation at that point and it officially opened as a park on the 22nd of July, 1903. Now, in 1906, Beulieu Mansion is no longer um, a family home and it's opened as a national history museum and it shows the mine workings below and the local industry of the area. In 1909, they built the Municipal Tennis Court's in 1916, an anti-aircraft gun is fixed onto the roof of Beulil Mansion. And in the First World War, it became the site of an anti-Zeppelin gun base. There's still the siren above it, from what I remember. In 1928, Beulil Conservatory is open to the public, and that's what I described as a huge greenhouse. There's a rare butterfly collection and a tropical garden with huge heated fish pond filled with exotic fish. In 1934, an 18-hole pitch and putt golf course was opened. In 1938, the new cafe and the Heart Hill extension are officially opened. So when we were kids, in the 60s and the 70s and 80s, you could get an ice cream and you couldn't... In the summer holidays and things like that, you knocked on the door and you'd have, like, hula hoops and uh, balls and all kinds of things that you could play with for free. It was just a nice place to be when we were kids because we lived quite in a city and that was a massive green space for us. In 1939, the park's office becomes the headquarters of sea flight of the RAF balloon barrage, home to a barrage balloon attachment. In the 1940s, the German Luftwaffe dropped a bomb on Beulah and Salford and its surrounding areas were heavily bombed because of the port during World War II and the docks were a vital place for the soldiers and we also had the canal system so we did take quite a lot of uh, bombing hence in 1941 we officially call it the Salford Blitz Um, I have a photograph of my grandmother when she was 16 and on it it looks like she's had a fight with Mike Tyson and unfortunately she bumped into a lamppost uh, the night before she had a photo done because of the blitz, it's just a family story, also a bit of interest, her wedding dress was made from parachute silk and everybody in the street had it for their wedding as well and they just alt- altered it for each bride. In 1945, V Day celebrations take place in Beulil. Seedley Park Boating Lake is filled in due to funding and upkeeping costs. Now, in 1948, reinstatement of Beulil is said in the papers which had been closed down during the Blitz. In 1863, a sensory garden for the blind is officially opened and it was one of my favourite places to be. It had very tactile plants and anything that smelled amazing. So there was like garlic and lavender and rosemary and everything you could think of there, borage and all kinds. And when it was warm, it was like a huge potpourri bowl. It just smelled absolutely amazing. And along the walls in Braille was the name of each plant. Then in 1972, Pets Corner opened, and from what I can remember, there was goats and chickens and rabbits and horses and donkeys and all kinds of stuff. We used to take apples and carrots down there when we were little. In 1975, the mansion, which at that point was the Natural History Museum, is just replaced by the Sulfid Museum of Mining. In 1980, eh, Beulah Mansion is listed as a Grade 2 listed building and just left. Um. really, nothing just left a rack and ruin it's full of graffiti now and all the windows are boarded up and everything in 2000 the Lancashire Mining Museum closes for good 2001 Beulah Park is listed as a grade 2 designated park now a dig on the site uncovered a wealth of archaeological material relating to the people who lived there back before the plague So these like, domestic bowls, cups, plates, jugs, bottles, animal bones, that kind of thing, glassware, clay pipes, ceramic floor tiles, uh, fireplace floor tiles. And in 2008, planning consent to turn the mansion into flats was given and people were not happy about that at all, the idea being that the mansion house and the old stable block would become homes and the rest of the park would be raised and just used as car parking space. Fortunately... An archaeological excavation carried out uh, by Great Dig Manchester did find some interesting finds, so that's all been squashed now. Um, And as of 2020, the park is just sat there waiting for someone to decide what they're going to do with it. Um, I went back not so long ago. All the foliage has been cut down and unfortunately that area of Salford is not the nicest place to live. So people were using the park to hide guns um, and hide other things. So all of the foliage has been cut back. There have been two bodies murdered uh, and found in the park. So everything's been cleared. Um, the old mansion house is just kind of sat there the greenhouse has no glass in it anymore or anything like that there is a small children's play area and things like that there's not a lot going on at Beulil anymore it's an absolute shame there is a society out there called the Friends of Beulil who are trying the best to um have the mansion reinstated so people could visit it so obviously we're all praying to the universe that that's going to happen um one of us should win the pools and uh pools don't even do them anymore some of them should win the lottery or hopefully buy it and uh, reinstate it for what it was but it was wonderful growing back up growing up back then as a kid um in Salford I have very fond memories of it I don't live there anymore um I live in not too far probably six or seven miles away in another small town so moving forward um As I said at the be as just I said just before I started to talk about the park. Thank you very much for everything you do for me. Because you're not just helping me, you're helping every person that I help. And then every person that they help and so on and so forth. And that isn't a wonderful thing, isn't it? So we'll just keep playing it forward. Until next time. Thank you all very much. Good night.